You're listening to Jewish Matters with Rabbi Jonathan Feldman. Put it in the chat because we're going to get to those at the end. Okay, thank you, Shanna. And uh, uh, member of Knesset Idan Rol, thank you very much for joining us tonight. We're really looking forward to hearing from you. Uh, let me just uh, give a brief introduction. M.K. Danrol served in the Knesset since 2019 on the Yeshatid list. In the outgoing Knesset, he was a member of the Economics Committee, the Labor, Welfare, and Health Committee, and the Subcommittee on the Treatment and Assistance to Victims of PTSD. He also chaired the Innovation and High-Tech Lobby, the Cannabis Lobby for Medicine and Leisure, and the Lobby for the LGBT Community, and the Lobby for Sports and fitness. So we done, it sounds like you've been very busy uh, in many different parts in the Knesset, and we, we look forward to hearing about uh, many of these different initiatives. Uh, Idan served in the IDF and the Technology Unit with the Intelligence Corps. He holds a bachelor's degree in law and a master's degree in public law from Tel Aviv University, and he lives in Tel Aviv with his partner Harel and with their son. So thank you very much. Uh, for joining us, Idan, and I'm going to hand it back over to Shanna, who will be moderating. Thank you. Shanna, are you here? Okay. Uh, oh, there you are. Shanna, so go ahead. Take it yes, over. I was, I was uh, sharing to all of our Facebook pages as promised, so you should be able to see it now on my Facebook page. If anybody has an issue with it, write something to me in the chat. Sometimes it can be a little bit tricky. I want to remind everyone that um, while I am going through the questions with member of Knesset's role, you're welcome to share your questions in the chat and we will get to them at the end. Thanks everybody for being here with us. We, this is extremely important. It's extremely important for all members of Israeli society to learn and have conversations and talk with our representatives. And in fact, it's the only way to make change and it's the only way for our representatives to know what our needs and issues are. So Idan, if you are there, we are going to start with our first question. Can you just tell us a little bit about your story? How did you get involved in politics to start? Okay, so um, I'm gonna try and keep it short so we can, uh, you know, get to as many questions as possible. You know that once you give politicians the permission to speak, especially when you tell them, please talk about yourself, it can take basically forever. So let me try and restrain myself. Uh, so I'm 36 years old. I'm from Tel Aviv, originally from Jerusalem. Uh, I, I want to touch the main issues that are relevant to our conversation. I actually have a lot of, a very vast history with uh, I call it, which what I refer to as the global Jewish um, community. I've worked for the Jewish agency as a shaliach in Texas uh, for a couple of summers. I also uh, trained delegations. It's really, you know, close to my heart. I also worked for Massa, uh, who, if you might, you might have heard of it. You know, it's it's a joint venture of the of uh, uh, the Ministry of uh, of diaspora. Uh, um, yeah, the Ministry of the of the um, sorry, I will get I will get stuck at times and the Jewish Agency uh, for long term programs in Israel and I believe that um, we all need to rely and trust each other. I find it to be uh, very interesting times in the sense of how Israel is connecting with the, with different Jewish communities around the diaspora. And I believe that we are heading in a not so great direction in that matter, in that aspect. We need to accommodate all different, uh, uh, all different uh, aspects of, uh, of Jewish life and to have them integrate into the uh, public law system here in Israel. And I've come to realize that what once was a granted issue that uh, you know, our fellow uh, Jews around the world will always be here to support Israel and to maintain this so uh, very much cherished connection that is not to be taken granted anymore, taken for granted. And, and we, we've come to realize that new generations of 
Jewish families around the world are not as connected and not as you know attached to Israel. And I feel like in many ways that's because of the way our government has been handling uh, these issues for the past few years. And we in Yashatid, we feel very uh, passionately about um, tying stronger uh, connections, stronger than ever before. I feel like we need to stop judging and criticizing and start accommodating more and asking, what do you need from us? How do you view this special relationship and how can we make it evolve and match what we need as, as people in 2021? Um, I've, well, that's enough. Well, I'll have to uh, prepare you just as you prepared me for your politicianness. I'm a news reporter, so this is what I do as well. I have to cut off politicians sometimes when they when they go. So you have a piano behind you. Are you are your partner a musician? My partner is a is an Israeli singer and artist. He's quite well known, and I'm actually sitting in his studio because my office is still not done so you get a so much nicer view than a politician's office you can see all the golden records and everything and yeah it will set the right vibe for us tonight nice so i want to start off by saying it was the first party to submit their full list on wednesday of last week so was that um was that easy? How did that come together? How does a party put their list together? And why do you think that Yeshatid was so confident that they were the first one to get in all of their names? That's an interesting question. Um, I feel like uh, in these specific elections, we've come to terms that we're very strong as we are and that we encompass all the main aspects of, of Israeli life and Israeli public. And when it came down to submitting the list, we felt very confident that provide all the needed, you know, variety of, of potential MKs uh, that could uh, potentially tackle all the recent obstacles, uh, you know, uh, in reaction to the COVID, to COVID, to COVID-19. Um, we wanted to make sure that we have a strong, um, that we have strong parties uh, on the left but we are very sufficient that we provide a very up-to-date, very truthful list. And above all, we've learned from this whole blue and white experience that the public views us as being very stable and very honest and, and true to our word. And so we felt like we have no need to uh, bring people from the outside or many people from the outside. And we always prefer to, to um, give a bigger platform to the people who've been with us, you know, uh, along the way. And we have two people from our uh, English speaking um, division on our list as part of it, because we, not that we weren't, wouldn't be, you know, doing all of that without them, but we, we feel like we have good people on our team already and they've been working with us for the past nine years. So let's give them the spotlight. I think that that's great. And I think what you talked about in terms of stability, it definitely shows because of how soon that Yeshatid was able to finalize all of the members. So it sounds great that you have a committed team and you know who those people are and you don't have to scatter around to find them. And I think also it's great that you promote from within as many businesses. Yeah. Um, so that's great. Now, you were previously in the blue and white. Can you tell me what encouraged your switch out of the party and anything else that we might need to know about the Yeshatid faction? You know, for the facts on the ground, because it's so confusing, especially for Olim. So can you explain to us how the, how you made your decision and if there's anything else that we need to know? Oh, so no, just, to, just so we're clear, just so we're on the same page. I was always on Yeshatid. I grew up on Yashatid. I was head of the LGBTQ branch uh, because I was one of the um, main people to catapult the, the Israeli LGBTQ um, uh, protest and, and journey towards equality. So, and then I made the switch to politics when I realized that you know it's up to all of us to just 
take a stand and you know jump inside this not so great pool at sometimes, but it's still a pool that you know it's still the area where the arena where all the decisions are being made. So we need to be there. Um, but Yesha Tid, when we you know created this whole blue and white, now there are there is blue and white and there is Yesha Tid, but originally we were all called blue and white for three consecutive uh, campaigns. Um, we formed Blue and White uh, by mainly uh, with the goal of, you know, getting all the forces on the ground in order to uh, offer a new, a new agenda, a new, more liberal uh, uh, agenda uh, to Israel. And when Benny Gantz chose to, uh, to join uh, Netanyahu's uh, government, for us, it was, you know, this, that was the red line that we will never cross. And we felt like you no know, matter the price that we would pay potentially, and when it happened, we basically got a lot of backlash. Um, and the general opinion was, why aren't you joining? Why aren't you staying? Why are you staying on the outside? You will pay for this in the next election. And we said, you know what? And I always say that. I feel like every politician should have its own red like his own red line or her own red lines. You, there comes a time when you need to say, this is a line I will never cross because I did get inside politics, into politics for a certain reason. And for me, this is the time to, you know, to give back the keys and go home. So for us, that was like the red line that we should never cross. And I feel like the, the Israeli public has, in a way, uh, returned, you know, respectfully viewed this decision as, as, you know, being honest. And I feel like one of the main issues that we will be facing in Israel post-COVID is the fact that the Israeli public is basically fed up with politicians. And I, I, I sense that on the street all the time, and I don't feel like I've been doing many bad things. But the Israeli public has lost a lot of trust in the process and in, in the in the politicians and the in the and the government, and we will need to rebuild that. And we started by not joining that uh, government, and we he, we are here to assure that we will get Israel back on track of actually a functioning state where people are getting their money worth for their taxes. And it sounds so simple, but we've lost that stage already. So that is something that once was a given and now we need to get back to. That was exactly what I was trying to get answered. So thank you so much because I think that there is a bit of confusion when factions break off from the global party of blue and white. So thank you for explaining that in such simple words. Now I want to, I'm a journalist and I love to just get the facts. I love bulleted lists. I love, you know, the slideshow. What would you say are the top, um, the top morals, the top responsibilities, or the top vision for Yeshatid? What are, what are the top five big issues that your party is focused on? Oh, that, okay. That's a hard one. I'm, I don't have anything prepared, but I will list the things that are not necessarily five, but I will try and list in two minutes. Okay? It doesn't, um, I, but I don't, I, not more than five. Like the okay. top. Okay, so the top ones are we want to um, fulfill the vision of Israel being the uh, uh, the is you know being both democratic and Jewish, and we feel like the two doesn't uh, uh, collide. Like they can coexist. Okay, part of being Jewish in my eyes is like the democratic values are are an integral integral part of you know, of Jewish lifestyle, the way I see it. And from that, we say that uh, we want a more liberal agenda. We feel like all citizens should be treated equally and all laws should be enforced equally. We also feel like it's time for Israeli to give uh, an equal place for both, or to, for all, all uh, streams, all streams of Judaism, okay? Both reform and conservative and orthodox. Uh, my son, was uh, was actually in, introduced into Judaism by a reform synagogue in uh, New York City. If it wasn't for them, uh, my son wouldn't be considered Jewish. So when it came, you know, when when my most um, intimate thing happened, and I we have we had our son, 
and we wanted you to be Jewish because this is, you know, what we practiced, there was only one place to go to. And I have huge respect for that. Also, we need to, uh, we need to terminate uh, violence against women. That has become a major plague in Israel. And we just need to give the money where it's at and where it's needed because the plans are there. Also, uh, climate change, we've done basically not a lot in the past 10 years. We need to do that. We need to uh, integrate that into public transportation. We need to um, minimize gaps uh, in society. And COVID has showed that the gaps are bigger than, all, than ever before. There are whole sectors in Israel that weren't granted access to remote studying and remote uh, work just because of infrastructure that is missing in Israel. And that is something that cannot take place in the startup nation. Um, and also, one last point, we have a lot. Um, education. In Israel, the, the education between the age of, well, zero, when, you, when you're born until the age of three, and it's the most crucial time, you know, as a human being to evolve, that's something that's completely un not monitored and it's not part of the ministry of education and it's an expensive thing to do but we are committed to getting all of these kids under the ministry of education and getting a proper education because we believe that also what for once that's our future and second that's the best practice to minimize gaps in society and you know what when when uh, public uh, when sorry when private uh, kindergarten costs so much, so it's up for the families that don't have a lot to decide if they're gonna go out and work or stay in to save the money. And you know what else? It's usually the women that get left behind. And this is how you get uh, uh, gaps in wages uh, between women and men. So we feel like that's gonna have a great impact on our society and on our. Um, uh, economy. Absolutely unbelievable. You rattled off five top issues right there. That was amazing. Um, you want to bring together Jews from all different spectrums. This is your party. Eliminate violence against women. Uh, work on ch climate change, which I also uh, live by the beach in Tel Aviv. And there are these frightening signs there that say, um, beware of uh, tsunami. Tsunamis. Yeah. yeah. And so quite, quite frightening. Um, and we're reading all the time in the news that there is that it's kind of in the background of a lot of Israelis minds, but it's not yeah. necessarily forefront of, of regulations. So it's really exciting to hear that you're working on that yet yeah, that your party has that vision. And, and even in the public transportation that our public transportation, safe, um, reducing gas and, and, um, my mother, who is watching with us right now, I believe, is a preschool teacher, and she talks all the time about how important it is to get young, young kids to start reading and start getting introduced to books and have and and even have just a few hours of day of structure and how bad it is to have kids, even even when they're earlier than three years old, staying at home. So um, it's it's really exciting to hear the things that you your party wants to work on. Now, the, the next part, I know that you're really excited about shaping the future of Israel and that you care about diversity, especially because you work with so many LGBT young people in the LGBT community. But what about the immigrant community? How is the immigrant community important to you? And is it important to Yeshatid? And can you tell us how, how important that is and what we should expect if we give our votes to Yeshatid? We expect to be brought into the table for discussions? Well, that's an excellent question because um, the, the way, I mean, it's even it's even a bit strange for me to, to call it the immigrant community, which is fine, but for us, it's like an integral part of, of Israeli society. And it has been that way since we formed Yashatid. I mean, we've had the, the English speaking um, division for many years now. And Michal, who's a very, uh, very gifted person is heading this division and we were one of the first parties in Israel to offer all of our platform in English and hold 
huge conventions with uh, with uh, uh, Chairman Lapid in English. In 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 it, it was always such a given for us. I mean, people come here; they want to be part of society, but you still have the language barrier, and it's like this is not easy for me. All right, so I would always prefer, despite working in English for the past. I don't know, like 20 years, I would always prefer to have everything catered to me in my own uh, language. And also, I, I would want someone to accommodate my needs. Someone being new into Israel, guys, that's quite a change. I mean, and we're not that easy at times. And biocracy is, 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 is harsh in Israel. And I know it it's sometimes can be a bit intimidating uh, uh, being new here in Israel and facing language barriers and facing uh, all these different ways that we do here things, we do things here. If it's uh, uh, public schools or uh, forming a business, things are done differently here than, for example, in the States. So we've been accommodating that. And we have also, uh, we plan on keeping the Ministry of, uh, of Aliyah and the, the Diaspora for Yashatid, because we feel like it's not enough just to get you guys here. It's our responsibility to walk you through the process and make sure that you become successful here. It's not enough to get people here and say, okay, so that's it. this is what you get and good luck. No, it's a rough road. You have a lot of bumps ahead of you and we want to be here. And I feel like that is my responsibility as a, you know, as a, as, as an Israeli, as a, an Israeli Jew, when I bring friends over, it's my responsibility to get them settled in. So we need to do that. And some of the practices that are currently going on are a bit obsolete and a bit not in touch with current reality. And we want you not to feel like the immigrants and maybe have less opportunities because of that, because you had the same opportunities we, we have when you were in your, you know, previous country. I feel like it's our obligation to give you the same uh, leverage and the same opportunity to make it in Israel like you you would have had in your original origin country because um, we got you here. We want you to feel comfortable and safe and successful. Amazing. Uh, what, what would you say as a person who has taken it upon yourself to create change, what do you think is the best way to create change in Israel? What should what should a regular person who's working and feeding their family, what can they do to try to create the the world as they as they envision it for Israel? Kind of my kind of my favorite question ever, but um and I have a lecture I, I give in, in for schools and, and mechinot because I want people to be involved regardless of the political party. Uh, first of all, what you're doing right now, that's a big thing. I mean, for us, that's our day-to-day -day job. That's our everything. Well, not our everything because my family is my everything. But, um, but you guys have, you know, your work and laundry and, and errands and, and, and keeping everything together and kids and whatever. So... For you, just to take the time to be here and actually, you know, inspect what everyone is offering in return to your voice, in return to your vote, because that's big. But also, I want to give an example. I feel like Yeshatid, honestly, truth, you know, being honest here, Yeshatid has gone has gone a long way in the past couple of years with this whole climate agenda. Okay, I call it climate agenda, but it's so much bigger than that. Uh, we've always dealt with that. We had uh, our wonderful uh, Yael German, who was uh, formerly the Minister of Health, dealing with this and uh, in charge of that in the party. But this whole global, mainly young uh, uh, protest and, 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 you know, like global uh, scene of, for climate change and getting people aware, that works on us also. Sometimes I tell people, you know, when you come to us and you talk about it in the media and in social media and you come to the Knesset and meet us, it doesn't necessarily mean that tomorrow we will legislate the, the right bill and everything will be resolved. No, but the process is going on. And you know what? I, I was aware of climate, but I wasn't aware enough. And now Yeshakit is very into it. It's very, you know, we, we, we're putting a lot of effort and a lot of, 
political weight on the matter. And that's thanks to Greta and all kinds of people around the world who, you know, make it, made it become top headline news. So when you feel like something is, is beyond you or it's like bigger, it's not. Just keep on raising awareness. It happens to us also. Like, think about it. We have a specific amount of time, okay? We have 24 7 24 hours in the day, every day. And whoever screams loudest and makes interesting content to raise awareness, eventually this is what we, we actually get to heal more and affects us more. So you can, you can achieve so much if you just stick to what you believe in, you know, get hurt. I think that that's great advice and also very and inspiring um, just to keep banging on that drum until somebody hears it. So excellent. I want to ask you your final question, which is, is there anything that we didn't cover that you wanted to talk about or any message that you want to send us with? And, and during this time, everybody who's watching, please write your questions in the chat because this is going to be our time to ask our burning questions to our member of Knesset. So go ahead and get those in the chat. And um, um, Idan, what else you have on, on your mind? Wow, wow, wow. Okay. Um, I, I really feel like um, Israel is a wonderful country. And I feel like we've been doing great in many aspects, like high tech, for example. But in many cases, it's despite the given opportunities and despite bureaucracy and despite regulation. And we like to brag about different um, uh, achievements. But I feel like all of these achievements that Israel likes to show off, like this government, are achievements that are solely uh, achieved due to amazing people. For example, we've seen our struggling uh, uh, health system, and it's doing miraculously in this in this whole crisis, but it's despite everything, despite 10 years of, of not funding it correctly, and despite, despite uh, managers of biggest hospitals having to knock on the Ministry of, 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 Tre of Treasury and say, please, can we get the money for the, for the services we already provided? And that's so, it's so unfortunate because we need to provide people with the best possible platform to succeed. And we need to stop relying on them being able to do it despite not giving them the best efforts. We are a startup nation because of the great people we have, not because of funding education for startups or for providing a good environment to, to catapult startups to success. So we have big plans to actually give you the best uh, starting point. And that's something that hasn't been done in a while now. And we haven't progressed as much as we should have in comparison to other OECD countries. Absolutely. And I think that it is important to note that, you know, people are succeeding despite the attitudes, despite the doors being slammed in people's faces, despite having to show up at the ministry office and come back three times before you can get your and there's just no reason for having these types of red tape and these limitations. Uh, so I think that it's really great that you've brought that up. And of course, we want Israel to be a well-oiled machine and we want yeah. it to run uh, as it's supposed to. So it's very exciting. I want to open the floor to questions. I'm going to actually have Rabbi Feldman take it from here. Rabbi Feldman, thank you for doing the question and answer. Idan, thank you for giving it to us uh, so succinctly until this point. Thank you very much. Thank you also, Shanna, for uh, your questions and uh, leading the discussion on. Okay, done. So I'm going to start with the question which maybe is the most practical. This is from Miri Mitchell. And she asks, how are you planning to get into a ruling coalition in the Knesset since there are some parties of people that you uh, are not ready to join with? Okay. Um, so I'll give you the main principle because, you know, I'm not a prophet and everything is subject to change. So there's no point in actually forming a coalition now because it will be decided upon like one mandate, like one, you know, like everything can shift the entire organization, the entire setup. First of all, and first and foremost, we will not form a coalition with uh, parties that are not Zionist, with parties that 
do not recognize Israel as being, you know, uh, uh, the Jewish state. Uh, and we will not form a government with parties that uh, deny Israel as being a democratic party. Obviously, for example, Ben Gvir and Smotrich, you know. Um, but I feel like we have the biggest opportunity in the past, well, maybe a decade now, to actually perform a change and to change government, but also change agenda, to change the state of mind here in Israel. And, you know, um, you've seen our abilities to tie new ties. For example, I'll just throw it out there. Uh, I don't know how to say it in English. Um, like you have the leftover votes of each party, and then you can uh, form an agreement between parties that, you know, excess votes will be given to the other party. So we, as you might have noticed, we've formed such an agreement with Lieberman, with Israel Beiteno, and Bennett and uh, Gideon Saab formed another one. That's not by mistake. I mean, we have great uh, working connections with all of them, and we know if Netanyahu, Netanyahu doesn't get 61 uh, seats, we will know how to, how to form this coalition, and we have a great chance of doing so. And and by being a big Yeshatid, we will um, steer that ship into a more um, liberal and 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 you know and like not normal. What's the word? Like same place. Okay. Thank you very much. Um, so three questions, which are all related to. Uh... The question of the Palestinians and within Shomron, Philip Bursky. I'll give you all three and you can choose how to, uh, which to emphasize. Does Yeshatid propose dismantling any or all of the settlement? Does Yeshatid propose any peace solution similar to what Ehud Olmert proposed? And does Yeshatid propose an end to the Arab refugee status, including the UNRWA? Okay. So I will try and, and, and like relate to all of that and also not take too much of your time. Um, first and foremost, we, and that's like Lapid's main statement when, we, when it comes to this subject. He says, and I you know, heartily uh, join him in that, that it is our responsibility not to, um, you know, just to postpone this whole issue with the Palestinians uh, to the next generation. In, in a way, it's all already happened. For a few years now, maybe for a decade, we've been told by the government that this issue cannot be resolved, that there is no solution. And we, we just oppose very strongly to the fact that leadership in Israel can say such a thing because we, we are facing you know, substantial economical uh, and in many other aspects uh, percussion, repercussions of this sirsu, okay? So first and foremost, we are, uh, we are um, obligated to re-adjourn this and, re and, and, and find a solution. I can promise we will be able to find a solution and I don't know how much time it will take, but we, are, uh, we will do it. And I feel like, um, uh, you know, we've, we've seen... Uh, COVID vaccinations in less than a year. We formed this country against all odds. So every possible uh, problem is solvable, but you need to want to solve it. Uh, second, uh, we believe in the two-state solution. Um, when, the, um, when, this, when this, the Palestinian state will be uh, maybe in a way like a diminished authority, a diminished state, which says that, which means that they will have their own airport and they will have their own means of forming and developing their economy, okay? But they will not have an army and our um, defense, different defense um, authorities will have, will be able to reach every area of that state in any given situation. Uh, the main settles, settlements like Gush Etzion and Ariel, they will stay. Uh, and Jerusalem will stay united, but we feel like, in a way, the Abraham uh, agreements, okay, the normalization agreements, are up to par with what we've been saying in Yashatid since the Aviva Aviv, since the, I don't know if you call it the Arab Spring, I really don't know, um, but since the, the changes in the Middle East, we realized that 
our biggest chance is by forming uh, measures of um, like outside uh, authorities to get them back to discussions and get the Palestinians uh, to make um, to get to be more, I'm sorry that's difficult for me with the, the, the terms but to be more flexible to give up on some of their demands okay and we've seen the the, the Abraham agreements and they're exactly what we were we've been saying we have Saudi we have Jordan and you know the Palestinians are playing it tough but they need the money and recognition of outside uh, Arab uh, countries and it's time to get them and their wishes to to further our relationship with them to get them to uh, pressure the Palestinians back to negotiations from a reasonable point. Okay, thank you. You covered that. Um, another question on a different front. What is the Eshati's position or plan for affordable housing, especially for seniors in Jerusalem? But oh, I any... don't know about the specific issue, but I, I'm just not... But in general, I, I don't know the entire platform by heart, but let's talk about housing because, you know, when we talk about housing, that's so much more than housing. It's like your ability to make it in Israel financially, your ability and how expensive it has become to live in Israel. And you guys have come here from, you know, many, uh, many different, you know, uh, states and countries. You must have noticed that Israel is very expensive. And it's been getting more and more expensive. And that's something that needs to be solved because, you know, as a young person, you're facing, you're looking ahead and you're like, what's, what's to expect? Like, will I be able to make it financially and be financially stable? Or do you need like, you know, a crazy IPO in high tech in order to just, you know, make it here? So it's become an issue. But we, when Lapid was a minister of treasury, uh, he formed the Rale Askir. The Rale Askir was a long-term rental uh, a housing plan. It was very successful, and a lot of the cities, you know, were very into it, and, and it was already deployed and going and up and running. The main thing was that you get a reasonable, reasonable price, like an achievable price, uh, long-term rentals, which is something that really doesn't exist currently in Israel. And uh, at the end of, I think, like 10 years, you get to uh, purchase the, the house if you want for a, like for a discount price because you've been paying for it. So it assured people that they will be able to build themselves financially. So first and foremost, we will get that plan back up and running and we will budget it. Uh, also, one of the main issues why... Um, why we're not doing so well in housing is because we're not building enough. And why aren't we building enough, you know, housing units? Because uh, this current government's policy is to try and get the best price for the lands. So they keep on waiting to get, you know, high, like bigger profit on the lands. But, you know, I feel like when it comes to such a crisis that affects our future, uh, the Israel, the government shouldn't be making a bigger profit. They should just, you know, unplug whatever is being clogged and get more lands outside on the market so people can build more units. So there comes a point where you will say, okay, we will not make the maximum profit, but we will resolve the housing issue in Israel. So this is one big factor that needs to be resolved and just, just a matter of policy. Okay, thank you very much. Um, does Yeshitid propose integrating the Haredi population and requiring real secular education for all Israelis? Yes, that's like one of our main flags um, because I feel like, you know, demographics just speaks for itself. We need to fund this whole crazy thing called Israeli, you know, the Israel and, and all parts of society must maintain themselves financially because otherwise we will be facing a catastrophe. You can already see the reports from Bituach Leumi and see what they're expecting to happen in 10 years and you, you can realize quite easily that we will run out of money. We won't be able, people are living longer, thanks God, 
and people are shifting in, in many ways our, our ways of life and it has financial repercussions that need to be addressed. I personally was one of the few people in the, in the intelligence force that uh, founded Binabe Alok, which was a pioneer uh, um, plan uh, for uh, Haredim uh, to enlist in the IDF, get uh, technological training, and later on they uh, integrated into great workplaces and great roles in Israeli high tech. So I know it can be done. I know it's profitable for them and for the country. And I know all these different types of plans are achievable, but we need to do it. And we want to do it from a very um, accommodating place. It's not from a judging place. It's just for something saying that we all live here together and we need to find a way to make it work. We need to find a way for people to make a living. And you know what? Eventually, everyone, regardless of being uh, secular, heretic, whatever, we just want to live our lives. And this is what I learned from working with the Haredic people for many, like four years, okay, of all different types. People want to live their lives. They want to make a decent salary. They want to have their families. They want to get decent education. Maybe from time to time, go to a restaurant or go on a vacation. And if God forbid something bad happens medically, they want to have a decent uh, health system nearby. But people want to live they don't want to fight each other and they don't want to uh, make, uh, you know, they don't want to concentrate on what we're different from one each other, one another. And I believe that if you propose the right plans, people will want to take part. I've done it myself and we really believe in the power of changing this whole dynamic. Thank you. That's very, uh, very optimistic. And uh, we should have. I must be a politician. If I want to be optimistic, I want to last. <laughs> <laughs> we should have more of that. Um, uh, this might be the last question, unless people want to post any more. Uh, in terms of uh, foreign affairs, uh, is Yesh, what is Yesh Atid's attitude towards Iran? Uh, do you like reinstating the temporary international nuclear agreement with Iran? Um, I am not very, um, I don't know much about our plans in that aspect, I must say. So I don't want to say anything that is incorrect. Um, I mean, really, it's I don't the, know the United States, so I guess, uh, you know, it's not a direct Israeli policy. Yeah, yeah, basically, we, we can just, you know, affect, maybe affect, you know, uh, the American policy on the matter. But uh, I can say, you know, generally speaking, we believe that we cannot in any way um, uh, compromise our, our, you know, our national security. And we need to do whatever we need to do. And I feel like we have very good intelligence. I was part of the intelligence force. For, I am still as a reserve uh, uh, officer. And I trust the, our uh, intelligence community. And I think like with the right leadership that encompasses all of the knowledge we have and makes, that makes um, um, an educated decision, I, I, I would really trust the outcome. What I personally find to be troublesome is the fact that Netanyahu may, has made uh, the, the whole Iran issue a very public issue. I come from the intelligence force. I feel like there are some things that are left, that are better said, you know, better left unheard and unspoken. And I feel like politics has gotten to... Uh, it's gotten too deep, too far in the intelligence community and the, and the, and the intelligence and, uh, or defense forces. We need to let them uh, create the right image and the current image regarding uh, Iran and make a decision that is not affected politically. We need to do what is right for national security. And we shouldn't blab about all kinds of things that we've been doing outside of Israel or we might not have been doing, or foreign, uh, foreign uh, reporters say that Israel has been doing. We need to keep things that we've been doing the way we've been doing it and keep quiet on the matter. And I feel like this will affect, our, this will affect what has happened with Iran and with anything else. It's a very complicated and intricate system. 
and we need to maintain our defense and our interest in the Middle East, we don't need to talk about it that much. Okay, thank you. From the point of view of someone on the inside. Yeah. Words of wisdom. Uh, I'm going to end with these two questions, and they're all re they're related to the economy and to the uh, standard of living, which you already alluded to. So uh, the first one is from Ariel Weinberg. What are the chances of raising the minimum wage? And the second one from Lorraine Labby is, I really like the idea of funding all you're suggesting funding, but how do you plan to do it? Uh, would equitable taxation, for example, uh, be a way to do it? I'm not sure what she means by equitable, if it's implying it's not equitable now, but so what is your view on the economy? You know, it's in terms of minimum wage, uh, reducing differences in wealth, which you already alluded to, and then I guess uh, how to fund all these great initiatives that you want, like more housing and uh, these kind of things. Okay, th th these are two valid questions, good questions and big questions, so I will try and be short. First of all, about raising the minimum wage, that is something that we are uh, with, that we support, but I'm not sure that currently with COVID and this whole financial image of where we stand as the Israeli you know, uh, economy, if that's the right time to do so. We need to assess everything because we have, you know, we, we are in big debt and we need to assess everything right now and, and, and maybe readdress that later on. But as a principle, yes, uh, we, we, need, we feel like that is something that needs to be addressed. Um, I want to talk just a bit and it will tie things together, I think. We've been hearing a lot about not having, you know, the state budget, right? And it was politically, uh, it was for political reasons that they didn't uh, legislate the budget. The budget has its sibling called Chokas Derim. And we haven't discussed that as much, but Chokas Derim is our opportunity as Knesset and as government to legislate big reforms uh, that Will, will be harder to legislate otherwise. And we are facing a catastrophic uh, economy, economy, you know, it, it, like we're facing like the catastrophic uh, uh, repercussions of COVID. And what I fear the most is that we haven't done anything to, um, to build our way back up. Most countries, uh, and it's not just a slogan, it's something that you do, while, while managing the economy. After big um, catastrophes, the, with big catastrophes comes, come big opportunities. And so where will the money come from? Well, the money actually comes back once you put it out. And it sounds weird, but that's a big, that's a well-known rule. Right now we have, we have a lot of debt, but if we want to get outside of this situation, the, the government actually has to, to you know, create more jobs and, and create more roads and create, well, instead of roads, let's just create like green uh, public transportation and high-speed internet across the state and actually make a lot of big projects in order for the private sector to have work and create more jobs. So now it, it is time to spend money, although we don't have it, because otherwise we will not have new sources of income to pay taxes. And what we've been seeing right now is is basically maybe two very problematic things. First of all, is model hachalat of keeping people on unemployment despite them being able, many of them, to go back to work. And we've been talking about that for the past ten months. People and I, I work a lot with small businesses, and you know now the market is reopening, and they're like, we cannot reopen because we don't have any employees because they prefer to just get unemployment. Uh, and just stay at home. So it's going to all shatter in our faces on June. The second thing is you need to be kind of crazy right now to want to start a new business. And already Israel is very is ranked really low in doing business uh, uh, ranking. Okay, It's hard to form a, a, a business here. The bureaucracy is, 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 is horrible. Uh, you need to pay. Here you pay all the down payments to the car to, to, you know, to Masachnastein, everything, and then you get your payments some point along the way, or you don't get it. 
it's very hard without initial capital to form a, a business. The most, one of the most problematic things that might happen is that people will, will see, you know, okay, so we are independent people and we have our own businesses and the government kind of left us hanging. So what someone might ask or do, let's become a, you know, a, let's work for, for like, how do you say it? Like, uh, like for the public sector, let's just play it safe. And once you get people to play it safe and everyone wants to play it safe, we will never make it outside of this, uh, of this economical catastrophe. So one of our biggest plans is how to um, make people take that leap and despite all that they have been experiencing the past year, decide to form new businesses. And, to, and we need more and more entrepreneurs because otherwise we would just get frozen. We will not be able to climb back up. So this is one of the main aspects that needs to be uh, dealt with right now in order to uh, get the economy back in shape. Thank you, Idan. Uh, we really appreciate your time that you came and spoke. Uh, I commend your English. Your years of shlichut have placed uh, you well. Thank you. Uh, it's hard. <laughs> my Hebrew should be as good as your English. And, um, and uh, thank you for a lot of insights and important messages about uh, the where Israel is at, the direction we should go, and also for keeping it very positive. That's very refreshing in politics. So uh, you're young. Uh, we hope to see... Uh, big things from you because we are going in the right direction and Hatzlacha and thank you again for joining us and uh, good evening to everyone else for joining us uh, next week uh, we will be coming back again and um, for the next few weeks we have our speakers lined up and um, at the same time afterwards you can find this event streaming on the Jewish Matters podcast or on the Facebook pages if you'd like to share it or like to uh, like to go there. Um, next week, March 1st, is N.K. Michal Shur from the uh, New Hope Party. And March 8th, um, I have to get back. We're waiting to hear from, uh, from our speaker from Blue and White. And March 16th will be speaker from Likud. So that's our lineup uh, for the weeks to come. And then, of course, March 23rd, uh, the big election. So good evening to everyone. Join us again next week. And uh, nice to have you all with us. I put on the notes uh, the contact information for the English branch of Yeshatid. Yeah, we would love to have you all. Michal, who I've been working yes. with. So you can, she's got her number there and her email. And also, uh, if you'd like to be put on the list, if you did not sign, although... I assume, I assume everyone here did sign up. If you didn't, you can send us your email and we will post you on our list. And have a good evening, everyone. And thank you again. Thank you for having me. Thank you for taking the time. Have a good evening. Bye-bye.